Well, good morning, Cornerstone and, of course, City Hope Community Church. Um, it is an honor and privilege to be able to bring the word. Y'all are going to have to mind me using these glasses because it's the only way I'm going to be able to see the screen up here um, at this point. And I might even do one better here and just hold this thing. But before we get in, I was talking to um, uh, Jonathan last night when he texted me and Rusty was asking for the the uh, scripture and he said, what's your uh, passage for this morning? And I said, it's going to be Romans 1.1 and he said, oh, so we're starting a series in Romans, are we? And I said, yeah, you didn't get the memo? I said, did Rusty not tell you? He said, no, he says, looks like I don't have to worry about a sermon for the next 14 years, so... Um, Romans 1.1 is where we're at um, on this. But before we get started, I just want to, to give you insight here. And you're probably thinking, okay, just one verse. It's the greeting of Paul at this point in time in Romans. And you're like, how can this have any benefit whatsoever to us as believers? But here's what I think it's re relevant for. In this day and age, in our culture, and everything that's going on right now, we need to be reminded constantly, preaching the gospel to ourselves, even as Christians, who we are and whose we are. Constantly. Because it's so easy to get caught up in things that's not of the Word. And we start bringing in how we feel and opinions. But God's Word is sufficient. Amen? Amen. And this one verse really reminds us of this is where we're at. So, Paul's epistle to the Romans um, here, I believe, is the greatest probably letter written in the Bible. Not saying that none of the others matter. Okay? But because so much doctrine flows through this and foundation for the church and God's design for her, I believe it is one of the most influential letters. And because Paul had never been to visit the Roman church, his letter is somewhat different from his other epistles. Because in Romans, he lays out systematically the gospel that he preaches instead of dealing with particular problems as in his other letters. And its teaching has sparked reformation and revival throughout church history whenever people have grasped the Spirit's message through the pen of the apostles, such as Martin Luther, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, just to name a few. This book played a huge part in the salvation of these men, if you go and read history. And you see this all throughout, and it's often called Paul's magnum opus, which is just another word for a great literary work or art. So, giving you some just context here before we get in because we're not going any further than one okay and there's a reason Romans was written sometime in 57 58 AD probably from Corinth and this was the end of his third missionary journey and the apostle was on his way to deliver monies collected from the Gentiles churches to the Jewish church in Jerusalem at this point in time and after Jerusalem Paul wanted to stop in Rome to meet the church he wanted to stop there to meet the church before going to preach the gospel in Spain. We get this from Romans 15, verses 22 through 29. And he wrote his letter to the Romans to introduce himself to the church there and to explain the message he preached throughout the world. Okay? This is where we're starting. In Romans 1.1, 1, 1, as has already been read, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of of God. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and I thank you, God, for your grace. God, we thank you for your mercy. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells all who confess you as Lord of their life, Father. God, I just pray now that your word will go forth for the edification of the body, 
and for the glorification of you, Father. God, we pray, Lord, use me in spite of me. God, hide me behind the cross. May your words go and do what you have purposed them to do. Lord, may you receive all the glory for this. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're going to break this up, this one verse, to three little parts here, okay? Clauses in, in here. Just to talk about them for a few minutes, okay? And the first one I want to talk is Paul was bought and owned. All right, and how this relates to us. Paul was bought and owned. The first clause we come to in the text is Paul, a bond servant. Paul, a bond servant. I do not particularly like the English translation of this word here, okay? Other versions use the word servant, which I believe is even worse. The Greek word used for bond servant is doulos, okay? Doulos. Or slave was not a hired servant who could come up and go as he pleased. Alright? So this gives us even more depth to this sometimes when we get into some of the original language of what Paul is saying here. Paul, a slave of Christ. Think about that. Not a servant, not a bond servant, but a slave of Christ. Big difference. A due loss was one who was purchased and became the possession of his master. Not where we see this word doulos in scripture. It is always connected to another word. And that word is kurios. Okay, kurios is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Adonai in the Old Testament. Which means sovereign one or Lord. But in the New Testament, kurios is used in three ways. Okay, three ways. The lowest usage of the word is to mean sir. Is if we're coming in... And, and just talk and you say, yes, sir. That is the lowest usage of this form in the New Testament. The supreme usage of the word is king or lord of lords, sovereign one. But there is a middle usage of this word and is used to describe a slave owner and its text applies to Jesus. Now we're probably saying, wait a minute, you can't, we can't use those words right now. <laughs> okay? But just follow here. This is where Paul claims his identity. Who he is. He is a slave of Christ. Who he is. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Not just a servant, but a slave. 1 Corinthians 6.20, Paul says to the church, You are not your own. You are bought with the price. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Purchased. Bought. The irony in this is that when the scriptures speak of our fallen nature, it says we are slaves to sin. See the correlation here, church. It's just that it's been transferred now, <laughs> in a sense. Anytime it speaks, we are slaves to sin, bond servants of the flesh, and the only remedy to this condition is to be bought and owned and enter into the royal liberty of becoming slaves to Christ. Which is a joyous thing. <laughs> and Paul speaks about this throughout the entire letters of Romans and any other epistles you see this. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is why we call Him Master. The Lordship salvation controversy where people said they could be saved but do not have to have Jesus as Lord of their life. We still see this in our culture today where people professed to be Christians, but they do not possess faith. We see this today. 
even in the midst of our churches. It's who we receive our marching orders from. It's who our devotion is to, and it's where our joy resides. We are not our own. We are not autonomous, independent, self-determined creatures. Just as Paul, we too are bought and owned. If you are in Christ, you were purchased. So you see how, well, this is just the greeting of Paul in the letter of Romans. How does this have any, this is the part we just skip over and say, well, this has to be because he's writing a letter. No. All scripture is profitable. All. We are bought and owned. And if one has not grasped this truth about who they are in Christ, then they remain unconverted. Because this is one of the first things that the Holy Spirit brings in, that we are His. You go further into chapter 8, we have been adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters. We are beneficiaries of Christ. An inheritance. So this first part here, this first clause that we see, is Paul was bought and owned. Paul, a bond servant, or Paul, a slave of Christ. The second one we see here brings us to his call as an apostle. Called as an apostle. Paul was called to be sent. He was called. Second, Paul says that he is not only a bondservant of Christ Jesus or a slave of Christ, but also called as an apostle. Now, the Greek word for apostle is apostolos, which means one who is sent. Okay? One who is sent. He is not only bought and on, he is also called. Paul's significance is not first or primarily what he has done, but what has been done to him. Okay? It's easy to read verse 1 and look at Paul. But if we take this a little deeper, we understand that Paul's not speaking about what he has done. He's talking about what has been done to him all throughout here. But we know of the scriptures here at this point. Someone is else is the initiator here, not Paul. We are not dealing in this letter merely with the work of man, but with the work of God in a man. Starts his whole letter off right here. In verse 1, we now see where Paul is taking the attention off of him and he's talking about someone supremely greater. And is greeting. If you notice in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 26, we see the criteria to be an apostle. And in Paul's mind, one must have been a disciple of Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. One must have witnessed Jesus' resurrection and lastly, one must have been commissioned by Jesus himself to speak authoritatively for him. The criteria to be an apostle. But we know of the scriptures that Paul failed the first two prerequisites. He failed them. Paul was not a disciple of Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry, and he did not witness Jesus' resurrection. So where does this leave us? But Paul was called or commissioned by Jesus himself. By Jesus himself. If you go a few chapters, we go back to Acts chapter 9. You see the first of the three accounts of Paul's conversion or calling on the road to Damascus. You all know the story of the road to Damascus, right? What happened to Paul there? As an apostle by Jesus himself, he was called. He was called. This third criteria to be an apostle was a supreme one called by Jesus himself to speak through Jesus himself was speaking as though he was speaking. 
It was the supreme part. Yes, there's three criteria. But here we see Paul was only called. He was called by Jesus himself, which is the supreme of the other two. Because Paul was apostle. Right? Amen? Wrote of a third in the New Testament. <laughs> we see this all throughout there. He became his conversion. He was the supreme one called by Jesus himself. An ambassador of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, 7-8, Jesus appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born. He appeared to me also. So there Jesus said to him, For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also the things in which I will appear to you. With this calling, he became one of the founders of Christianity. As it says in Ephesians 2.20, the church has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So I think a question that's valid that we need to ask here. So what's the significance of being called as an apostle? How does that relate to us? There are no more apostles. How does this relate to us as believers? Gathered here today, two churches, unified, Christ the head. How does this relate? If we ask today, where is this foundation of the apostles for the church and its life and ministry? The answer is in the writings that they left behind. That's how it's beneficial. That's how it's significant for believers, in the writings that they left behind. You go to Acts 2.42 and you talk about the fellowship of the church. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. churches are we devoted to the apostles teaching it's the letters they left behind and among all those apostolic writings there is none like the letter to the Romans John Piper says it this way it is simply the great biblical summary of the great gospel and is therefore preeminently the foundation of the church with Christ as the cornerstone Paul says that he is called as an apostle so that the church, so that you and I will receive the book of Romans as a message, not just of man, but of Christ. Do you see how it is significant to us today? There may be no apostles today, but we too have been called, commissioned by Jesus himself to go and make disciples. Church, we are sent. Something at City Hope we always do at the very end. The church is never dismissed, but they are always sent. Never dismissed. We gather, but we are always sent. We are not only slaves of Christ, but effectually called by Jesus to be His ambassadors who have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Taking this message of the gospel. Reconciling people back to God through the gospel. Not in anything we do or say, but through the power of the gospel. Through Christ. And the third part of this clause here. Set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart for the gospel of God. Paul was set apart for God's gospel. 
Now again, we read verse 1. It's easy to see Paul as this. This is Paul's gospel. <laughs> this is what he somehow came up with. He was smart enough to come up with this. And he started spreading and he did all these things. But that is not what the scripture says here. Finally, Paul says that he is not only a slave of Christ Jesus and not only one called as an apostle, but he was also set apart for the gospel of God. So a valid question is, when did this happen? When was Paul set apart for the gospel? We get our answer elsewhere in the scriptures. In Galatians 1.15 it says this, But when he, God, who set, set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. What does this mean? It means that before Paul was bought as a slave, before he was called, before he was born, God set him apart for the gospel of God before the foundations of the world. It wasn't just one day God was just searching and he said, okay, you, and you just happen to be on Damascus Road <laughs> at this point in time, and you just happen to be putting my people in jail and, and everything else. No, before the foundation of the world. God set him apart for the gospel of God. Notice again who this is about. It's not about Paul. He starts the letter off about pointing to someone supremely greater. God is both the source and theme of this gospel, not Paul. We see this in the original text when it says, of God. Now, in grammar, for those any of y'all that know this, it's a genitive noun, which means possession. Of God. God's gospel. A genitive noun, meaning, guess what? It's not Paul's gospel. It's God's. It's His. He possesses this. He did not leave it up to man to boast in something that he could, couldn't have done to begin with. Paul said he was upset apart for God's gospel, possession, His gospel. It reiterates that God is the author of this gospel. It is His, and Paul was set apart before birth. He purchased Him by the death of His Son. He called Him effectively on the Damascus Road for God's redemptive purpose and being a message to God's people. Of God's gospel. We don't ever talk a language like this when we speak of the gospel. I've heard people say the church is gospel. And you're probably saying, oh, well, you know, it's just a play on words, but it's significant here. We have nothing to do with it. We're not the author of it. We've just been commanded and given message. Take it. Y'all remember, you want to know what the purpose of your purpose for your life here the will of your life, according to 1 Thessalonians, this is the will for your life, your sanctification. But even more so than that, it's for the glory of the Father. Not us. John 3.30, may we decrease that may He increase. It's for the Father, for the glory of God. You have the five solos written on the wall as a reminder when we walk in where we stand and who it's about, who you are, your identity, and whose you are. Constantly. This means that in the very first verse of this great book, we taste some of the magnitude of God's inscrutable wisdom. You get just a taste. 
God did not leave anything to chance in the founding of his church through the writing of his apostles. He didn't say, okay, well, you write this part, and I'll write this, and then we'll combine it together, and we'll see what we get. He didn't leave anything to chance. Nothing. He had it figured out. He told them what to say, how to say it. The Holy Spirit, he, matter of fact, he gave the helper. It lives in them. The inspired word of God through the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave anything to chance. Why? Because those whom he chose for the foundation of the earth, our souls are too precious. <laughs> he wasn't leaving anything to chance. He said, I will have a people for myself. If you are in Christ, you too have been bought and you are owned. You are not your own. You have been adopted. We live in the already but not yet. You have been called to go and make disciples. You have been set apart before you were born and for that reason and for what reason? Maybe not as a function of an apostle seeing how there is no more apostles and we cannot meet that criteria but definitely as one sent to proclaim God's gospel and make disciples in our city, nation, and world for the glory of God the Father. Matthew 28 Acts 1.8 There's our commandment. There's how this is significant to us. Because everything that happened to Paul, Paul's position may have been different because he was called as an apostle. But guess what, church? You also are sent. You are sent with this message for the glory of God the Father to go and make disciples, proclaim the gospel. Now more than ever, people want to try to fix the things that are happening in our world by philosophies and five steps of this and government and everything else. Guys, this is not a political issue. It is not a government issue. It's a gospel issue. It's a sin issue. That's the problem. We have to attack the problem. And guess what? It's a problem that's been around forever. <laughs> but we have a message. And we are told to take it. Proclaim it. Pray that God will draw many to Himself. John 6, 44, No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him first. But the way, one, the Holy Spirit draws, one, I believe it's through the church, two, it's through God's Word, and three, we take the message and let God do the rest. We can't get caught up in secular worldviews, church. We are just pilgrims passing through with the mission with a command and we have to stand on what is central no matter what the world says no matter what people say well no that's not going to fix anything it needs to be the gospel plus no it starts with the gospel <laughs> it has to the whole theme of Romans resides in Romans of I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power unto salvation for the Jew first and then the Greek the theme of Romans I believe God has shaken up His church in the midst of all this as well. And those who are in Christ, who not only profess to be Christians, but possess true faith, 
Are we proclaiming the gospel? Are we making disciples according to Matthew 28? Are we depending on other things that cannot solve the root problem? Because this is where we are at. Leon Morris is exactly right, and I'll I'll end with this. When he says this, God is the most important word in this epistle. Romans is a book about God. No topic is treated with anything like the frequency of God. Everything Paul touches in this letter, he relates to God. In our concern to understand what the apostles is saying about righteousness, justification, and the like, we ought not to overlook his tremendous concentration on God. There is nothing like it elsewhere. Everything Paul lays out in the book of Romans, even in verse 1. The reason I just wanted to sit here and say because I wanted you to see who he was pointing at. He was claiming his identity. When people look at you, who do you identify with? Who, who, who do you identify with more? <laughs> See, becoming a Christian is not a cessation of sin, but it's a life no longer characterized by it. It's not that we don't have faults. It's not that we do not stumble. It's not that we do not sin, but we are covered by the righteousness of Christ. And we have the ability to pursue Christ. (laughs) And that's why Paul spent a whole entire chapter on living in the Spirit. Which side are you feeding? The flesh or the Spirit? Church, we live in a time now. And there are a lot of people out there who say, Oh, it will get worse. Just wait till after this or wait till after that. We have a mission. (laughs) You are called. You are set apart. You are bought. You are owned by Christ. How awesome is this? This is good news. But I fear that we sometimes forget this and need to be reminded not only who we are and who we identify with, but also whose we are. He is the source and the theme, not only of your salvation, but our entire life from here to eternity. Amen? So one verse, and we see, not Paul, but we see Christ. We see God. And I believe that we need to keep this in sight. Scripture interprets Scripture. (laughs) Not our feelings, not our thoughts, not our philosophies. But Scripture interprets Scripture. And if there's one thing you can lean on, it's that. So may we be churches, plural. Never had to say that. Two local bodies of Christ. Yes, we're sharing a building. Yes, we're sharing a roof. But guess what is the same? Our mission. Our calling. The will of our life, the will of the Father for our life is the same. It's our sanctification. Loving one another so the world knows that we are His. (laughs) 
Not just within our body, but within both. So may we be an example for churches all around. And may we not be so concerned with what's happening. Let's be concerned with what God has already given us. And not so fearful of what we can't control. <laughs> because you were bought and you were owned. And been set apart for the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for your holy scriptures. Lord, we thank you, Father, for the truth that is in them. God, that we do not have to focus and try to come up with something else plus Your Word. But God, it is sufficient for all things. God, and here in just the greeting of Paul in the book of Romans, we see You as the supreme author. We see You as the initiator in the very beginning. So God, I pray for Your people. God, I pray for myself, Lord, that every time we open Your Word, God, that we see You. God, that Your Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us. For Your Spirit will communicate to us by the Word and through the Word, but never against it. God, may we be reminded today and encouraged whether we've been doubting, whether we've been questioning, Whatever it may be, may we be encouraged of who we are in Christ and whose we belong to, whom we belong to, God, and that is You. You have adopted us. You have declared us right. We are clothed and covered in the righteousness of Christ. And Father, as we go forth and continue to sing praises, God, as we leave this place, not dismissed, but sent as people, your people, with a message of true hope, hope which is our faith looking forward, God, of what you have promised to do, may we go in great boldness and courage to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of Jesus Christ for your glory. Lord, in Your Word teaches and day by day, as many were being saved, You added to the church. So God, we pray now, Father, that You will draw people to Yourself. That they would hear the Gospel. God, that You would remove the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Open their eyes that they will confess You as Lord of their life. And believe that You raised Your Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And immediately, God, you have declared them right. So, Father, we give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. Be with us in spirit and in truth. For it's in your will, by your strength, and all for your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.